Is this Ryan? This is Ryan. Yep. Cool. And I've got a co-host in the room with me, Rob Minot. Okay. And by co-host, he means pain in his butt. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll see how that goes. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Wow. <laughs> Crickets. Definitely. Crickets. <laughs> My name is Rob Minow, and today joined by Ryan Flurry. Howdy. And nobody else. Nope. It's just us. Again. Yep. No, no cowbell. No AT banter, banter, banter. Nope. No it's just Steve. us. Yeah, I think, you know, if we don't start getting Steve back at the show and if we don't start hearing from our audience, we're just going to pack it up. What? Yeah, be done no, with we're it. not. Yeah, we'll roll it up. No, we're not. Yeah, we'd call it a day. No. No. <laughs> Hell no. Why? doesn't matter who's listening. <laughs> Everybody's We do listening. this for us. Do we? Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. I cannot believe it's all, August is almost gone. Like, where, did, where has this summer gone? Like, I feel like I'm still waiting for... <laughs> It to be summer like we've had such weird weather here that i mean we've had a few hot spells here and there but really it's been a weird summer for us i'm glad it's almost over are you i am yeah haven't you not had a good summer no summer's been fine you know it's just yeah, but it is our slow season. summer and it's it is slow so we've been able to take time away and i don't know i'm just looking forward to things getting going again the weather being a little cooler and yeah all right that's me though. Until the second week of September, and then you're like, "I can hardly wait till." Well, the summer. we know we know winter's coming. You know, Fort Nelson, BC, had 30 centimeters of snow the other yeah, night. Yeah, I heard about that. That's and nuts. it's only August. That is nuts. <laughs> That's not even like far north. <laughs> yeah, I thought Mackenzie was bad. Holy crap! Yeah. I couldn't imagine getting snow in August. There were people camping, and they had to get out because there was snow. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's nuts. Um, hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, what are we up to today? Today we are talking with Paul Rubolo, who is the creator of an indoor navigation app called Clue. Yeah, this is interesting. I, I took a look at this last night. Um, where, how, where did you hear about Clue? I think I heard about it from the GTT, Getting Together with Technology list. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, this is it's a it's a it's a really interesting idea, and it's a really interesting app that uses um, that uses the the augmented reality component of a, of an iPhone uh, to to do some pretty cool indoor navigation things. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to talk to him and uh, and and get the scoop on it. Uh, but before we do that. I have something else that I wanted to talk about that I thought was pretty interesting that happened last week. Did you hear that Ira um, has now has a, a free plan? It's They're, not even a free plan. It's free for everybody everywhere all the time. You don't even need a plan. You have five minutes free. Every day, correct? Every day. Any time of day is my understanding as well. Yeah, this is this is a really interesting move on their part. Well, and I think, you know, like there was probably a bit of pressure from Be My Eyes. I guarantee Um, that. You know, Be My Eyes has, I think, I I think I've mentioned before, like 1.2 volunteer, 1.2 million volunteers who are are available to help you with everyday activities, I think for as long as you need or as long as the volunteers available. Um, Whereas with Ira, you know, they've had their paid subscriptions. And, you know, now that there's a free tier, you know, they do stipulate that it is a limited, you know, I think five minutes. So you're not going to use it to do a whole lot. But if you need something quick and dirty, you know, Ira's now there for you. Yeah, I don't, I'm a little conflicted. I kind of don't know how to feel. I mean, I think that it's, it's obviously a good move. I'm always happy to see services being offered for free. 
But I mean, I also feel like you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think this was a move in order to compete with the free apps that are out there, like Be My Eyes. I think that the feeling I'm sure on, on Iris' part is that they want to be the single app on somebody's phone. Well, they're the ones that are, I think, really pushing public access the hardest, right? They're making their partnerships with international airports and, yep. you know, different companies and agencies well, yeah. all over the place, right? So nobody else seems to be doing that. That's it's true. I mean, they are work they work their ass off yeah. um developing the app and to make making it better and getting into spaces. I guess my fear is that, you know, if it if it's a move in order to try to sort of squash out some of the free apps that are out there, it plays into this idea that, you know, there's there's got to be competition because they at the end of the day they are companies and they 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 have you know, I have to keep the lights on and, and they are all competing in this similar space. Uh, and it's hard to compete with free. I, I mean, yeah, but I think you have to, you have to remember that, you know, Iris says that their agents are vetted, you know, they're yes. professionally trained. They it's not Betty Joe sitting in her kitchen, answering a be my eyes call saying, sure, Ryan, I can help you out with this. No problem. You know, there's, there's some, um, trust i think that ira yeah. is trying to promote yep. with their with their customers as well um so you know there's some value to to a service that you pay for i, I listen i agree 100 percent. you know you, you're getting top tier uh help when you contact ira for sure and that is does give it the advantage uh over something like be my eyes that's that's crowdsourced um so, but I mean, the, the, the flip side of that is that Be My Eyes, you know, it could very well be a, a very important part of somebody's life sure. who say, can't afford the uh, subscription to, to IRA. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, if that, if, if this sort of results in Be My Eyes not being able to function anymore or, you know, it, it getting squashed out. I don't know. I kind of think we're we're worse off for that. Right. Um, so it it is a double edged sword. I mean, I'm very happy and and very like uh, hats off to Ira to for doing this. I mean, I mean, certainly you're you're helping, you know, you're helping people on a daily basis with little return. But at the same time, you know, I think that this is this is also obviously an attempt to increase their market share to get their, their app on more people's phones sure. in order, f in the hopes that they buy eventually will, yep. yeah, you know, buy into a subscription. Yep. So, you know, I, it, it is, it is what it is. You know, I, I absolutely understand that, that, um, you know, especially with Ira, you know, again, the, they, I'm sure they have high operating costs. They mm -hmm. have, they have to train all their, all their, um, operators. So they have to be competitive and they have to do things like this in order to, to, to try to, you know, increase their services. So yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, I was, I was a little surprised by it. How about you? A bunch of us in the community, I think saw it coming. We knew something was coming. We just didn't know what it was. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, three to six months or the next season, um, next year to see if, you know, that gets broadened out to maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, or if some of the prices come down. Like, we're still waiting for, you know, Ira to actually be, I think, f a full-fledged service here in Canada. Early on, there was talk of Ira and CNIB partnering, and we've heard nothing about that. You know, yeah, I don't know what they're up to. Our telcos here, like Rogers, Telus, and Bell. Um, you know, my understanding is you still need the AT&T box, which works on the Rogers network here in Canada, if you're, you know, using the Ira service here. So, you know, Ira's been around a while now, and they do have some partnerships in Canada, like with, you know, Pearson Airport in Toronto. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we need to get them on and just find out, you know, what, what's happening with Canada. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, five minutes, I guess that's essentially one call. Depends on the task. Yeah, but I mean, uh, it, well, and it also depends on when the clock starts. If the clock starts the second that you you like press that call button, um, you know, by the time you get somebody, you explain the issue. Yeah, I, I would assume that you know one, maybe two calls you could squeeze in. So 
Yeah, well, it depends. I, you know, I think it's a no. You know, it's a you, you don't really lose out if you're if you're IRA with this because it it's going to mean uh, you know a certain amount of increased uh, work on their end. But you know, again, that that's going to mean that their app is on that many more phones. Well, and again, you know, if you need something, it's going to take a little bit more than five minutes. Then use another service. Use Be My Eyes or something. Yeah, sure. You well, know, if yeah. you're flipping through your, your cupboard under your sink and, you know, calling Iris saying, what's this bottle, what's this bottle, what's this bottle, what's this bottle, you know, you could eat five minutes up pretty quickly. Well, um, and yeah. I th- I'm sure the hope on their part is that people get used to calling. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if they, the it turns out that, that they do need more than five minutes, well, you know what, then they're probably going to go ahead and, and eat a subscription. Right. Um, yeah, you really have to weigh, weigh what your needs are going to be. You know, like, and just and it's a great way for people to actually see the the, the level of quality yeah. that they get yeah. with Ira. You know, when when the whole service is behind a paywall, um, it's it can be challenging. So this way, you know, you you you're giving people a little taste of for free and and hoping that they uh, they come back for more. It's a brilliant move on on Ira's part. I just don't hope it doesn't come at a cost to you know a different service mm-hmm. that that people are using for free that they get a lot out of you know i right. just i hate to see any any sort of at developer or company uh, i just don't like to see people fighting yeah you know being competitive <laughs> i just want everyone to get along hey steve why don't you tell the fine folks about canadian assistive technology Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, Really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. (laughs) Um, And uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, We do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines, uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us now is Paul Ruvolo, creator of the Clue app. Paul, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Don't be too excited. <laughs> We're not. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, maybe if you just want to start telling us a little bit about the app and maybe give us a case study example of, of how the app might be used. Sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, basically this app is uh, all about indoor navigation. So, you know, places where GPS signal is not available. Um, and one thing that's been really great in recent years has been you know, a bunch of new features that have been released for, for phones that allow you to do pretty accurate indoor position tracking. So tech, uh, technologies like Apple's AR kit or Android's AR core. So the basic idea is you can essentially take your phone, hit a record button, move through space. It could be indoors, it could be outdoors. And while you're moving, the phone is constantly sort of recording the exact motion of the phone as it moves in space. And the technology's come like a, a long way with respect to how accurate it can be and, and, and how, how can actually run on a phone. This is pretty computationally heavy stuff. So um, uh, basically you can record, you can record your path. Um, there's sort of like two different use cases for it. One would be you would record a path, say like if you're going to a place like, say, going to the bathroom, you need to come back right away, um, sort of after using the bathroom. Uh, you can re- you can record a path to that to the bathroom, and then if you need help getting back, the phone can automatically guide you back. Um, so that could be helpful either if, like, maybe you are escorted there by, like, a sighted guide or something, or sometimes uh, getting back to a place is harder than getting to a place. So, for instance, like, getting back to your seat at, like, at a conference table might be harder than it is to get out of that room and go down the hallway. Um, so that's one use case. And then the other use case is if you want to record the route and use it in the future. So maybe you just like checked into a hotel or something 
and you want to record uh, a route from like the front door of the hotel to the elevator or something, you could record it one time, maybe with assistance from somebody, and then you could follow it back every other time uh, when you're navigating around in the building. Um, so we've had people talk about those kind of use cases. We've also had people uh, talk about uh, using it at work. For instance, um, some offices are pretty difficult to get around, uh, like especially these sort of you know open open uh, sort of concept offices that don't have as many sort of uh, walls and easily sort of uh, you know trackable uh, trackable landmarks and things like that. Uh, so we've got some reports from folks who are using it using it at work for those types of things. Um, so there's a whole variety of uses, but basically the two types are sort of record and then go right back or record and save and then follow that in the future. Now, uh, how does it actually work? Yeah, so uh, this is using uh, Apple's AR kit. And so the specific type of algorithm that it's using is called visual inertial odometry. So odometry just means that the phone is estimating its motion based on sensors that are actually on the phone. So it's not referencing any external landmarks or anything like that. Like it's not using like GPS or anything, satellites. Um, so what it's doing is as you move your phone around, there's these inertial sensors in the phone. So like your accelerometer, same thing that would be used for detecting what orientation the phone is in. Right. And then also gyroscopes, which detect the rotation of the phone. So the phone is sort of getting all that data and then it's fusing that with data from the camera. So the camera is essentially looking out and looking for sort of little parts of the visual environment that it can track from frame to frame. So say like the corner of like a door or like a feature on the carpet or something is tracking hundreds of these features from frame to frame and based on a pattern of where these things move, it can estimate how far the camera has moved and for what path is taken through space. I see. Um, and so that was developed by uh, the big mobile phone companies uh, so that they can uh, enable sort of uh, augmented reality experiences. So the whole idea with augmented reality is you uh, have some virtual content that's going to be sort of fused with uh, real the real world, right? So the most common use case is like you're looking through the screen of the phone, you see the video feed that the camera's capturing, and then in the video feed, you're seeing like virtual characters like right. pop up or something along those lines. So Pokemon Go is like is a great example of one of these things that kind of went viral, and you know, everybody everybody loves it. Well, I don't know about everybody. I don't actually play yeah, it. But, yeah, me neither. Our, uh, our so boss does like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so in order to have those types of experiences, you need the phone needs to be able to understand how it's moving through space so it can sort of render the virtual content uh, from the appropriate like viewing angle and distance. Um, and so what we're doing is sort of piggybacking on that technology and instead of thinking about it for, uh, you know, some mostly sort of visual augmented reality experience, we're thinking how could we use this for um, assistive technology? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's sort of this idea that this is a new feature, there's lots of potential use cases for it, and we're sort of one of the first uh, groups of uh, folks who are starting to think about how we could actually apply this to sort of tasks right now with the current state of the technology. Right. Um, so that's really the space I've been working in for about, uh, honestly, about the last four, four or five years, started working with some special purpose phones that Google had come out with a number of years ago, and now everything works on the, the iPhone. The potential for sort of releasing this stuff is, is pretty awesome. So it's been it's been cool to be able to sort of think about how the technology can be utilized and, and work with the community to, to do something that, that's helpful for people. Now, you, because you mentioned, you know, you obviously you're working on the, on the, um, on iOS. Um, are you guys looking at developing for Android? Yeah, we're definitely looking at it. Um, yeah, I mean, I could maybe just say a little bit about like kind of my, my own context and like where I'm coming from, because that might be kind of helpful in understanding um, you know, some of the ways we're approaching this. So, um, so I'm a college professor. I work at a, a small undergraduate college called Olin College of Engineering. Um, and so uh, I, I, I work there. I, I do a lot of uh, teaching during the year. Um, all of my research right now is really focused in this area of assistive technology with smartphones. Um, so uh, I work a lot over the summer to make improvements on, the, on these apps. And then 
um, kind of during the year, I, I can do a little bit of work, but it's a, often a little bit harder to make progress. Uh, so definitely doing an Android port is something we're looking at. We're just trying to find the right sort of combination of sort of resources in time to, to put into it. Sure. So I wouldn't say it's the, the very top of the list, but it's definitely up, up high on the list. Sure. And do they have a, a comparable system within, within Android? Yes. They do. So Google was actually the first to the market with this stuff. So they had this project called Tango, which uh, came out like four or five years ago. It was like a developed, it was a developer's only platform. And they came out with two phones, two consumer phones that use this thing. And, and the Google technology was actually much more advanced than what's currently on uh, iOS. Um, but it used special purpose cameras and really fancy hardware. So things like 3D cameras, like the same thing you'd find in like a Microsoft Xbox, like the, the Kinect, it had that built in. Um, and it was a pretty awesome, awesome thing. But then kind of, they were kind of slow to kind of get it out to the market and you know very few phones had it just these two phones and then apple came along and developed ar kit which kind of reset google's whole strategy and so essentially google put out something very similar to ar kit and sort of took out the special 3d features the special cameras that they had used for the for the tango and so now they essentially have something's basically the same as what what apple has right. so you could just easily build this technology on an, an iphone and an android uh, i don't have as much experience with the, the Android library, but I think it's pretty much the same. So it's interesting. So, so as a developer, I guess you, you just, you kind of got to be flexible in terms of, you know, div, depending on what platform you're going to develop in, depending on what the, what the technology, where the technology is at on, on, and, or where their kits are at on any given platform. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, so I believe really strongly in the idea of sort of the smartphone as as a as an amazing sort of platform for this type of technology because it does let you sort of distribute things at a at a global scale. But then you really are at the mercy of yeah. of the of the companies, right? I mean, Google got rid of Project Tango, and you know a lot of people put a lot of time and effort into that, and all of a sudden, you know, their strategy shifts. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's all about flexibility. Um, but the opportunity is, is, is great. So I think it's, it's worth kind of rolling with the punches, I guess. And I, I like as a developer and as a developer who's specifically interested in AT, um, is it an exciting time right now? Because these technologies, they, they just keep continuing to push um, the, the technology and what the technology can do with every new iteration of device. D does that make your job exciting or does it make it a bit of a pain because you're constantly sort of playing catch up? Yeah, I guess a little bit of both. That's a, yeah, a really <laughs> good point. I mean, I think it's really exciting. I mean, I don't know. There's, you know, there's a lot of history of sort of um, technologies in the orientation mobility space, you know, sort of uh, engineers taking the latest and greatest technology and sort of applying it to that. And not all of that's been successful, um, I think a lot of it was sort of technologies that were like, you know, really expensive or not very reliable. Sort of they were developed only as assistive technologies and therefore they didn't have the sort of robustness of, of other things. So I think, I think I'm excited right now about this technology because it seems like for the first time we're able to think about orientation mobility for people who are blind using a technology that's built into a, a device that, not everybody, of course, not everybody owns a smartphone, but a lot of people who are blind, especially in the United States, own a smartphone. And this is technology that's, like you said, it's sort of pushing the boundaries, um, you know, in, in the in the these big tech companies are working to make it better and better. You know, we can sort of ride that wave and, and think about how we can take it and apply it to whatever purposes we want. And in this case, what I'm you know most excited about is, is assistive technology and thinking about how uh, myself as a as a researcher and a designer can sort of take that technology and and work with work with folks in the community to make it something really cool and really useful. So that's that's what really drives me and gets me excited about this stuff. Where did your interest in assistive technology come from? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I, uh, I so I came to Olin from UC San Diego and 
I did my PhD in uh, machine learning and robotics. So I'd always been interested in sort of like computer vision and uh, artificial intelligence and things like that. Um, and I came to Olin with a sort of, I had a couple of projects that were sort of around assistive technology, like they were sort of adjacent to work I'd been doing. Um, but I didn't really know what I was really doing in the space. Um, so just to say a little bit about Olin College. So we were started uh, 25 years ago, not 25 years ago, uh, 21 years ago uh, with a mission to sort of change the way we educate engineers. So it's really a different vision of what engineering is all about. And probably the thing that's most near and dear to the heart of Olin faculty and students is uh, solving real world problems and designing uh, with people and doing collaborative design. And so as I got to Olin, I just sort of like became immersed in the sort of ideas of our curriculum and worked a lot with uh, colleagues. So I have a lot of colleagues who are kind of working in the disability study space. Um, I have colleagues who've taught a class on um, design for uh, older adults for um, about a decade and basically just sort of working with these folks and um, being uh, influenced by their sort of sort of ways of thinking and, and getting help from them and collaborating, I got more and more interested in assistive technology. And then as I started working with uh, the sort of Boston area uh, communities for for people who are blind, it was just a, a really, I thought it was a really great experience. It was really interesting to me from sort of an intellectual point of view. Like there's like always so much to learn. And every time I have a conversation with somebody, I learn some, something new. And then I just also think there's like, uh, you get to meet great people and uh I think the thing that you things the things you work on at the end of the day have have the potential to, to be useful to people, and I think that mm-hmm. that's exciting. So I don't know. I don't have like sort of a a personal story. I think a lot of people have, you know, maybe a relative yeah. or somebody who who has a, a disability and that maybe pulled them into the space. But for me, it was really a, a sort of a professional a professional journey and just finding this work to be really exciting to me and really resonant with the types of things I want to do. So I just sort of followed that for the last uh, five or six years and over time I've just gotten more and more interested and it's become a bigger and bigger part of what I'm doing. Just want to make sure I approach things with, with humility and make sure we're always doing things that are that are helpful to the community and kind of keep that at the center. Um, I think there's always this tendency for engineers to to want to solve all the world's problems you know, by themselves and I, I don't believe in that but I do believe in solving solving things collaboratively with, with uh, people who would be using the technology. That's what I've always tried to do. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, the, these technologies will, will be released, um, you know, whoever, Apple, Google, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, release these devices with, with this new tech. And usually it's, it's left up to, to a developer. It's left up to, to somebody to go, oh, you know what, if we leverage this technology and can make it do this, we can totally turn this into, into an amazing piece of, of uh, assistive technology. And right. that's that's exactly what we need because you know the 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 people who are you know the Apple and and Google aren't necessarily doing that. They're just saying, hey, here's the technology, run with it. And so you know it's so important for you know engineers out there to to be able to sort of look at this and figure out how to how to leverage it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and yeah, it's it's not it's not obvious. I mean, I think. People have different ideas of what what could be done, but you have to find just the right intersection between what would actually be helpful and what is sort of yeah. technologically feasible. Right. Right. And so there's all these ideas like it would be great if it could do this, but well, maybe it's not ready to do that yet. Or people have really misguided ideas about what people who are blind would actually find useful. So yeah, that's I guess true, I try yeah. to like live in both of those camps and make sure that kind of stay in the in the intersection of those two things. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not intuitive at all. I mean, you, you, somebody would take a look at, at something like augmented reality and go, well, this is going to be of zero use to, to somebody who's visually impaired. Um, but that's, that's not the case at all, especially when you, you, know, you dig down into the guts of the technology. There's a, there's a lot of applications that it could be used for. Right. You know, and, and right now, you know, mobility is such an important aspect um, you know, every, you're right. Everybody have, has these smartphones uh, in their pockets. And if we could figure out a way to really marry a lot of, a lot of different technologies together to sort of make an, an 
overarching mobility aid, uh, right. that would be amazing. I mean, part of the part of the problem that I see in in the field right now is that there's all these apps that are springing up that can all do different things and you know leveraging different technologies. Um, and I, and I can imagine that as a as a you know somebody who is so and I could see as somebody who's blind who wants to say get from their doorstep to the mall or even even more specifically get going from their doorstep to buy a pair of jeans at Old Navy like it would be so nice right. if they could do that through one interface or one app using yeah. stuff like GPS and then using beacon technology using the AR technology and just having one seamless app instead of having to rely on one to get them to the bus stop rely on another one to you know get them to the, the front door of the mall, mall yeah. you know using a different one to to get them to the store you know and and then using right. you know having to use a, a different one to get them to their jeans um right. do, do you kind of do you do you see in the future that maybe that might happen or is that just pie in the sky no i think i know i absolutely do think that could happen um I think you're right. We've gotten a lot of feedback that users want just a single app that kind of connects all these aspects together. Um, I think a big a big thing eventually is going to be, uh, you know, a lot of the technology we're using right now is, is sort of, we're not making many assumptions about businesses opting into this technology. It's sort of just, we can record yeah. this route and somebody can follow it back and um, you can now share routes on the app with other folks. You can send them to people, which is kind of a, a new feature we added a couple about a week ago. Oh, okay. um, but I think you're right. I mean, I think in order to take that next step, you probably want something like, like a Bluetooth technology standard. Obviously, there's a lot of beacon beacon stuff out there. Yeah. Um, you know, with with uh, augmented reality technology, uh, you would have these uh, little signs that look kind of like QR codes. Uh, those would be kind of the equivalent of a beacon. They would sort of anchor the position of the phone relative to them. And I think to get to like a place where there is just this like seamless experience where you can go anywhere and uh, that, I think you would need a, you would need some sort of standard like that to, to be sort of adopted by by businesses. And I I think there's a good case to be made that that, that will happen. I mean. It's always, I think, change is always, always challenging. But I think, um, I mean, I've heard about some folks doing doing work with with businesses to get to make them accessible with like beacon technology. So yeah, I don't know, maybe it's a matter of sort of expanding those efforts out. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I think that is part of the challenge in terms of something like beacon technology because you're reliant on the space, the retail space, whatever right. it is, the store, the mall, or whatever, to install some sort of that of that beacon technology in order for it all to work and i don't know i don't feel like anybody has really broken out and become the standard beacon technology no. like that still seems to be being worked on and developed and i don't think anyone's really taking the plunge um into certainly in terms of at i mean i think they love the idea in terms of being able to you know use that in in some sort of marketing effort um and maybe once that happens, it becomes more standard than the AT aspect of it can piggyback off that. Um, but right. I, I just don't see the, the spaces really showing a heck of a lot of interest in, in, in propelling stuff like beacon technology forward. But that is where AR can maybe pick up the pieces from that. Because with AR, yeah. you, you don't need that physical beacon. You can... You can be using these these AR markers that you're talking about that's that are shared between a community. Is that is that kind of sort of the ultimate vision for this? Uh, yeah, that's definitely one of them. We we actually have a, another project that I've been working on. So I actually have a bunch of projects related to sort of AR and assistive tech. Clue is the one that we've actually been able to get all the way to putting onto the App Store. Right. Um, but we have we have another project which we call the Invisible Map Project, and Essentially, the goal of that, and we have sort of a proof of concept of it right now, is to uh, provide an app where somebody can just take take a standard printer, print out a, a few of these uh, AR tags, put them up in a space, and then with their phone just walk around the space for, say, 15 minutes or so until you've explored the whole space, and then put in 
points of interest into that space. Um, and this could be like the store manager or somebody or somebody who manages that space, or even it could, it could honestly even be like a guerrilla effort if you had sort of the ability to like affix tags in like a public place. I'm not sure if that's exactly the right change model, but there have been some things like that. Um, so you do that and then it automatically creates a 3d map of the, of the environment. It's, it knows where all of the tags are automatically and knows where all of the sort of points of interest are. And then you can, upload that to a server and then anybody that comes in can download that map and then use it to navigate around the environment. So that's Amazing. one vision that we're, we're sort of excited about, um, pushing, pushing forward. It sort of does require these, these tags to be installed. So there's sort of like, um, how do, how do we think about that? But the goal is to sort of make it essentially free to whoever's managing the space. Like all you need to do is print these things out, hang them on the wall, download a free app, Within an hour, you have the whole thing, whole thing done. Wow. It would actually be that easy. Um, so that's something we're excited about. We haven't quite gotten there in terms of getting all the all the infrastructure together, but it, it, it's doable with current technology with ARKit as a technology, which is kind of cool. See, in a way, that's that's almost the frustrating part. It's like you know, we have the technology in place where we could just make accessible spaces. We leveraging the power of the smartphone and and all these different technologies, but just there's everybody's sort of doing, doing their, their own, own thing, thing yeah. right? <laughs> so that's fair. That's really fair. Or or you know or it just takes like guys like you like to to actually take that technology and go okay, well here's how we do it. So so it's 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 cool on the in the one sense it's an exciting time. Um, but in the other sense, it's just like, come on guys, let's, That's right. let's, if you're, if you're really <laughs> yeah. serious about accessibility and. Well, and it, I think maybe like you talked about earlier is the standards, like, are there any, any standards for indoor navigation, whether it's beacon technology, whether it's maps of some tactile mapping, you know, like there's been I standards think. on GPS, but is there any standards for indoor navigation? I don't know. I, yeah, I heard about one standard. Uh, coming out, but it's it's mostly sort of here are the characteristics that an indoor navigation system should possess, and sort of standardizing some of those things. It doesn't necessarily tell us exactly what the right technologies to use are. So you kind of need something that people can like get behind and mm-hmm. kind of kind of push forward. I mean, I guess I guess another thing for me, I sort of came at this whole came at the whole area from a very sort of technological point of view, but I guess over time I've really come to realize that it's there's so many layers to these issues. Like, like, like you guys said, it's the technology is there. So how do you sort of get people behind? How do you, what is the right change model for this to happen? Who are the right people to get in the room? And I think those are things I'm excited about, but don't always feel very sort of equipped to, to engage with, but it's something that I'm, I do think is, is a huge part of the, the, the solution will ultimately need to be around that. Well, and, you know, in talking to different community groups, you know, you talk to one group of blind people, they'll have a different idea of what they want compared to the next group of blind people or, you know, somebody in a wheelchair maybe has different opinions than the next person in the wheelchair. So, you know, but you have to start somewhere and that's got to be the tough part is where do you start? Right. So, yeah. So in a sense, Clue is an interesting place to start just because it was sort of a way we could do something without... Or there's sort of something that we could do completely on our own, mm-hmm. and like you guys said, that's that's very that's limited in a lot of ways. But at least, I think if we accomplish anything, maybe it'll be just raising awareness about the potential of, of this type of technology. Sort yeah. of saying, hey, here's like one one app that's like using this technology to do this one thing, and maybe that inspires folks to get together or to to build something larger that's stand, you know more standardized. Um, yeah. But it was sort of that was the one sort of place you could kind of start and do something kind of just completely from the grassroots. So yeah. that was one of the reasons. You know, I guess the reason I can do this, have this app for free, is through my through Olin College because they they employ me and they value the work and they give me you know they give me sort of license to do it. Right. Um, so I guess I, I sort of have that. But like if you if you didn't have that, then yeah, you have to be thinking about what's the sort of business model and yeah. Um, all those sorts of things. So it's, it's, yeah, you're right. In a perfect world, you would, you would just, you could just make the best thing possible. Maybe it'd be sponsored by a government or something, yeah. but 
Yeah. You know, this is sort of all coming from sort of a capitalist sort of framing most of the time. Yeah, and it it is it it is kind of a shame when you look at the landscape. I mean, it, it's a shame when you see you know one app developer sort of stepping on another one to try to sort of get on top of it. Um, but yeah. you know, again, you know that it's that's that's just the world we live in. But okay, having said all that, but let's dive a little bit more into Clue. Let's talk a little bit more about Clue and and well, maybe hit on some of the stuff that we we haven't talked a, a bit about. Yeah, sure. Give us an idea of of what kind of challenges or hurdles you guys came up against uh, when you were developing the app. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So one of the so there's a few things. So one of the biggest issues has actually been coming up with a way to have users understand how the technology works. So this sort of new uh, sort of AR-based technology, um, we found that even people who've been using the app for a while didn't really have a good sense of how the technology worked. And of course, I don't mean like you need to know all the gory details of how this stuff works, but just having a little bit of a mental model behind like what the system is doing can help you understand what its limitations are and how to best use it. So, like, an example is, like, at the very, very beginning, like, people didn't necessarily know they had to have the camera out, so they had the phone in their pocket, and, of course, that didn't work. Um, but even other things, like, knowing that uh, the phone tracking works the best if the camera can sort of see um, a wide area of, like, the, the environment, so holding the phone up and pointing it straight ahead is, is a big deal. Um, another thing is just that, the phone doesn't really know what direction your body's facing. It only knows what direction it's facing. So whenever it's giving feedback to you, it's always with relationship to the direction of the phone. So the phone might be saying, I'm pointed in the right direction. But then if the user is not facing the same direction as their phone, then that might be confusing to them. Right. Um, so th there's like a lot of things around just this being like a very new technology and um, not really having the right sort of language to to convey to folks so they can sort of best utilize it. That was one thing that I didn't really expect uh, going in, but it became clear that users have to have some idea of what's going on in order to best utilize it. Right. Um, and then uh, I guess, yeah, another just more concrete thing that, that we've been doing that's been challenging is, you know, everybody asked for the future of how do you, how do I save a route? So when the phone, uh, the Clue app first came out, uh, all you could do is report a route maybe pause it and then go right back to where you started. There was no notion of storing routes or saving routes. Right. And so in order to, to be able to save routes, you have to be able to essentially record your motion through space, but then you have to have some way to sort of position your phone in a known location when you want to reload the route. Um, right. So that was also very challenging. So the thing we came up with was, um, basically positioning the phone against a landmark of some type. So the idea is you might use like a door frame right. or like a wall or something like that. And I think a lot of folks like that's pretty challenging and not very user friendly for them. Um, and then even people who've used the app for a long time are still like, why do I have to do that? Like it should be way easier. And I definitely agree with that, but that's been sort of one of the sort of hurdles of, of the, of designing the app is like, knowing that you need something that does that, but not knowing how to make it really user-friendly. Right. Um, so we've been working on how, solving, coming up with better ways to solve that problem, and we're hoping to come out with some of them soon. But um, those, those have been like two of the big challenges, I'd say. What about the ability to share routes with other people? Yeah, so like I said, we, have, we do have like a, a limited version of that. So, um, so right now you can go on a route, save it, and then send it via email or text as a, it's like a file, and then somebody else can import it into their version of Clue and then use it. Uh, you know, the big challenges around that, so like I said, there's this alignment problem, so mm -hmm. how do you like put your phone in a similar position right. as the person yeah. who recorded the route? Um, so if you're the one recording the route, you have to, we have the ability to add either a voice note or some text uh, to describe where to put the phone. So like the route is only useful if the person you send it to can understand the instructions about where to put the phone. Um, right. And like I said, we're trying to come up with better ways to, to do that alignment. We have a prototype of a visual alignment thing where you just kind of point the phone and it kind of tries to figure, figure out the alignment. Um, so we have that. And also uh, we 
made the decision to make it just sort of one person to one person because we're also very uh, worried about the sort of notion of trust and sort of credibility. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people have asked for like a public space where they can share routes with other people, but we're just wondering, we would think it's like a big design challenge to figure out how to like do that in a way where people can trust the routes they're downloading and how do you sort of build that up. So the, the current version is like, you would just send it to somebody, you know, and there'd already be that established uh, trust relationship. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're kind of starting there. I haven't actually gotten any reports of anybody using it yet. We just came out with it about a week ago. So, yeah, um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I could see how that could be really challenging. Um, you know, you'd have to have some sort of a thing where um, uploaded routes could be reviewed almost like so you could see like okay yeah well, you know this is everybody's giving this a good review so you know it's good so you know it's not just some troll that decides to make a path down a flight of stairs or something well let's, let's yeah let's talk about that is there the ability to download a route and look at it offline you certainly yeah that's a uh that's fascinating uh yes you definitely could you mean like sort of like to plan the route or like understand what well, the route entails or something let, like that? Let's say a friend, a friend of mine sends me a, a route that they've recorded. And before I actually go on that route, I can actually sit on my couch and I can virtually walk that route. Interesting. That's a great idea. Uh, I def you definitely certainly could do that. I hadn't really thought about Hmm. I've, I've heard about apps like that, but I didn't actually make the connection that you could do that with Clue until you just said that. So um, <laughs> that would certainly be technically feasible. You could certainly do that. Um, That'd be interesting. So that might be something we want to want to kind of ask around a little bit more and and get people's feedback on to see if they find that useful. But right. um, that could be a really interesting feature. Look at that. Ruin. Boom. It's not even 11 o'clock <laughs> yeah, in the morning. I know. You've, already, you've already improved you in the, Well, it's just, it's like, it's kind of like you can do that with GPS and offline maps, right? You can actually, you know, preview right. your route before you go. So why not with indoor navigation? Hmm. Wow. Right, right. Yeah, it could say something like, you know, go go forward, you know, 10 meters, yeah. make, make a right, make go. a left, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that could all definitely be done. Or compass done coordinates, sure. you know, northwest, southeast. You know. Right. Yeah, I guess another hurdle I would say with it, with this it's been a little bit challenging is just getting like this app has like a pretty wide. If you look at the number of people who like downloaded the app, it's like I mean it's not that high. It's like we probably have like six thousand downloads or something, right. which I don't know. It's like kind of small, but like at least it's getting out there. But these people, the people are distributed all over the world. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the challenges we've had is just getting the right type of feedback so we can make the make the app better. Sure. Um, so yeah. figuring out how to like kind of work with, work with folks. So a lot of the work I've done in the past has been, we've done a lot of co-designing with people. So there's a lot of great institutes for the blind in the Boston area. A lot of great organizations that work with, like we work with like Perkins school. We work with uh, the Carroll center. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've done a lot of in-person co-designs and we've got a lot of feedback there, but getting feedback from people distributed around the world can, can be challenging. We've had a few users who've been really awesome and, Given us, given us really great detailed feedback, but we really just want more. Um, yeah, is it? So that's another thing. Just building that up. Yeah, is it English only, or has it been localized for other regions? Uh, it's. We just got. Uh, we just got a Spanish localization. We just got the files back um, from the guys at Info Technovision, which is a Spanish language uh, assistive tech uh, uh, podcast. Cool. Um, they actually wrote up a super detailed description of clue um so they just sent us uh the translations for it so we're going to try to get that out fantastic pretty soon and uh, get a couple more languages out there as well so that's something we've been we've known as like a big issue we we need to work on for a while but we just sort of gotten to the point where we're actually getting sort of all the stuff in place to, to make it happen right well, don't worry. After you appear on this podcast, you're going to have 6,010 <laughs> downloads, All right. my friends. Nice. So, uh, I'll be, be waiting for those Be fans. prepared for the tsunami of AT Banter fans to flood your... Um, you have an army of fans. <laughs> we do a lot of prototyping in my group, so we try to like take the building blocks of this technology, and we know that things that we come up with without interacting with the users and not testing them out are going to be terrible. So um, we try to 
to have a, a platform you can like do rapid prototyping of. So one thing we did was um, we're interested in the idea of like object finding and, and things like that. So we have a, a type of an app where you essentially like announce an object that you're trying to find and you kind of sweep the phone around oh. and then it's essentially capturing images of your space and then it uploads those images to the cloud. And then it's a really a crowdsourcing model where you'll sort of ship those collection of photos off to uh, volunteers and then they localize the object by like clicking on it or, or like tapping on it or whatever. And then that location is sent back to the user and the AR technology can sometimes convert the location of the like user's click in the image into a 3D location and give you sort of automatic guidance to the object. Wow, nice. Um, so, so it's, it, it's, it doesn't work. The problem is like there's certain situations where it works really well and then it, some situations where it doesn't work very well. So trying to figure that out. But it's, it's an interesting model where it's like, it's crowdsourcing, so but without any like direct sort of interaction with uh, the the crowd worker. Um, so sort of trying to combine the strengths of people in the sense that they can uh, people who have typical vision can identify these objects, but then combining that with the phone, which is really good at conveying precise spatial information. Right. Um, so that's sort of like the goal the goal with that one. But again, that one's like super early stages and. Um, you know, I'm not sure that it will ever, you know, with the current technology can work well enough to, to be useful, but, um, that is something we've been, we've been thinking about and we have a whole prototype of it, but haven't gone, gone very far with it yet. Well, and I, I imagine stuff like that is interesting too, because even if, if the current technology isn't quite there yet, um, you know, you can sort of, you know, speculate and so, you, and you can just wait for the technology to catch up so that eventually it does. And then you just you continue forward. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing with this technology is like, it's pretty clear that the right device has not emerged yet for this technology. Um, Like the smartphone is, is awesome, but I think you'd really want some sort of like head mounted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. System. I mean, uh, like something like that, if it, if and when it goes mainstream and, and the costs become, become low and the technology gets reliable, I think that would be really powerful. I mean, that's one of the biggest things yeah. you get is like, you know, it's hard to use this app while you have like a mobility cane or like you're helping yep. your like dog, like harness, that kind of thing. So that leads um, me into like, what about the Bose AR frames? Yeah, those are, yeah, the, the Bose AR frames are pretty cool. I you know, talked to those guys a little bit. So the thing that that doesn't have is it doesn't have a camera on it. Right. So in order to get super accurate position tracking, you need to have a camera on it. Um, so you could, of course, like put a camera on it. But one thing that Apple's done with their technology is it's not just about having a camera on it. There's all, it you have to really precisely calibrate the camera and you have to know exactly the relationship between the camera and all of the sort of accelerometer, gyroscope, all those sensors. Um, and like the amount of engineering that goes into those is just crazy high. So if somebody came along like an Apple and put a camera on like a pair of sunglasses or something and did all that work to make it the position tracking work really well, that would be the perfect device okay. for having an experience like this. Like the Bose device has some of those building blocks, but it, it doesn't have the, the, the necessary steps to do like accurate position tracking. Right. Um, but maybe it's leading there, but it's just not, not quite there yet. All right. Next year's the year. Well, you never yeah, know. Maybe next Listen, year. I I think wearables are mm-hmm. are are a thing. Uh, I I think that everybody's working on smart glasses. Yep. Um, you know, we of yeah, course they're like they're it. already out there, but I really think that they're they're still, you know, trying to position themselves to be sort of the top of the heap and really come up with that, you know, that one device that everybody's gonna gonna want to have. Uh, so right. I don't know. I don't see it that far away. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So where can people find Clue and like online or in the App Store? Yeah, so you can uh, find it in the App Store. You can type it in uh, C-L-E-W. So uh, that's how you spell it, not, not the standard spelling of Clue. Uh, so you can find it on the App Store. Um, we also have a webpage, clueapp.org. So you can go there. Um, 
uh, you can email us at cluap at gmail.com. I'm always happy to, to chat over email or if you want to have a phone call with me, I'm always happy to talk to you about the app. Um, so yeah, just, just reach out and uh, we're, we're here. We're, we're ready to listen and ready to talk. Well, and you, and you need people people's input that's the most important part because we need a lot yeah we need people's input and especially people who are excited to be part of uh designing and building this new technology and uh this is not a simple case of hey test this out for us like you know we're looking for a real substantive input on on design of of large features and things like that so i'd say i would just put that out there is like if, if you're excited about that type of thing um, we'd be really excited to work with you. So please get in touch. Thanks so much for taking some time out and, uh, and talking to us about it. This is, it's really cool and encourage everybody out there, all 10 of you to, uh, to, to <laughs> more than that, <laughs> to, uh, to download it, give it a try and, and by all means reach out and, uh, and, and help them out. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been a lot of fun. Take care and, uh, we'll be in touch. Bye. So it would be pretty exciting to be part of like, you know, a real testing an app at sort of this, it's infancy stage to try to, you know, really develop, help it develop and grow as an app. You don't get that opportunity too much. So. Yeah, no, it's, you know, interesting. There aren't a lot of these out there that are accessible in the first place. So, you know, kudos to these guys. Yeah. Leveraging the AR component of, of smartphones really isn't something that's been done a lot AT wise, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, I mean, I can't really think of, yeah, in terms of navigating, using it as, as a form of navigation, I don't think it's really been done. So these guys are kind of, mm-hmm. you know, these guys are trailblazing, um, which is, it's so important with, with the, in the AT field. I mean, this is, these are, this is, these are how we get to, um, you know, incredibly useful apps like, uh, Ira. Well, it's good. You know, I'm glad to hear that he's plugged into some of the groups like, you know, per- per- yeah, Perkins and, you know, he's, he, he's aware of Ira and Be My Eyes. And so it sounds like, you know, he's done a little bit of homework and has asked people kind of what they'd like to see. Yeah, I just I, I really do want to live in that perfect world, though. That perfect well, world where everybody works world, together. But... They just, you know, the technology, it's, that's frustrating. I mean, it if if. Uh, if they they set up a, some sort of a brain trust, a think tank that just took into account all the technology that's here, all the technology that's coming, and just worked for a couple years, put throw a bunch of engineers and developers on on problem solving some of these things, I feel like they could totally come up with like a master mobility app that just took you from your doorstep to a pair of old navy jeans. All in a seamless, one seamless app. And again, I don't see they why could do that, it. that can't be done today. You it know, can. Again, it comes, absolutely comes can. again back down to standards. Google you know? Maps. You can mm-hmm. literally get in your car and you can just, hey, I want to go here. And yep. it will just walk you through. And not only will it walk you through directions, it will figure out what traffic's like mm-hmm. and put you on the best routes. Yep. Uh, if you get lost or whatever, it recalibrates on the fly and it like it's that's amazing mm-hmm. and it's seamless and it just works. Yep. And I feel like and that's we could I do think. the same for for AT. Yeah. And I think, you know, the GPS part of that is Google's, you know, accessing the satellites that are circling the earth. So in our malls and public spaces, we need a yeah, technology I know, I know. that is going to be standardized that everybody adopts, whether it's iBeacons or some other beacon technology you know i think that's the next step is we need some sort of indoor navigation beacon that everybody adopts yeah i guess so i guess you're right i mean i guess indoor navigation is a little bit trickier and and you know all everything from obstacle detection to well even just you know like ideally it'd be great if we could download uh, a floor plan of let's say a shopping center we're about to go to and then the ar component would you know We'd be able to virtually walk around that shopping center and, you know, figure, okay, London Drugs is over here, the Gap's over here, and, you know, then use another app to get you there or the same app. Yeah. But again, like there's, there's, there's still so many variables when it comes to indoor spaces. Yeah. There's so many moving parts to it that it would be, I I can understand. I I don't mean to make, to oversimplify it. No, 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 no. 
Because I understand it's all this stuff is complicated and it's hard to do and it's it's a constantly moving target, especially when it comes to indoor navigation. Well, and there's no specific addresses. Like think about GPS, like it'll get you to an address, right? Indoor navigation, you navigate to the gap while well, maybe the gap's no longer there, right? Yeah. In a yeah, mall, sure. it's at some other store. So there has to be some technology incorporated that's going to be as well, smart as. You know, and I think at the end of the day, I mean, I, I feel like, crowdsourcing that information is just the way that it, it has to go there's no other way that you can really would be, be able to keep on top of mm -hmm. um changes or all these different variables uh i mean it's just it's it would be unmanageable without you know the community sharing well and i think that's where companies like ira have just really taken off right you can actually hold up your phone call ira and ira agent will spend all the time in the world as long as you got the minutes on your plan and they'll get you from the bus to the mall to the gap, you know? Like. Yes, they will. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? ATBanter.com. Uh, they can also drop us an email, if they so desire, uh, cowbell at ATBanter.com. Send sad. us a mail. It's sad that there's just that, that silence when Steve's not here to hit the cowbell. I know. He just, he just, it's, it's just sad. It's it's lonely over there by itself. Yeah. So soon. Maybe. Soon, good people. He will be back. <laughs> well, they can also find us on Facebook. And Twitter. And Instagram. And that is going to about do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778 778- 847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.